0: We are in the middle of a series about Jesus, and I love the title of the series, right? It's it's boldness, it's strength. It says, This is Jesus. And in the end, everything boils down to the question that he will ask us on that day, right? Who do you say I am? And the answer has to be, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is Jesus. Espy's title for the series comes from the charge that was leveled against Jesus by the Roman oppressors of his day, Uh, When our Lord was crucified and hung on the cross, there was a crude sign above Him that said, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So this week, we're going to look at Jesus who sets free the oppressed. So far, we've looked at uh, a number of lessons. We've learned that He heals the brokenhearted, and He sets the captives free. And last week, we learned also that Jesus caused the blind to see. And this week, we're going to talk about Jesus who sets free the oppressed. And I want to begin by asking you this. Have you ever been oppressed? Or have you ever oppressed others? Or have you ever witnessed oppression? I think to each of those questions, my own answer is yes. I have been bullied. I say to my shame that I have bullied. I also have seen oppression. Right? We all have if we read the newspapers right here in Singapore. Horrific stories of uh, daughters oppressed by depraved fathers, parents oppressed by abusive sons, maids oppressed by sadistic employers. And recently, uh, there was a very widely shared account of a man who was, widely, uh, who was heavily oppressed by his father for becoming a believer. First, the father chased him around with a machete and threw the knife at him. And then after years of trying to change his mind, the last thing the father said to him was, the moment you step out from this door, you are no longer my son. I think we all, every one of us, have some experience with oppression to varying degrees. And so today we are going to learn about and hopefully meet the Jesus who sets free the oppressed. But before I go any further, uh, let me pray. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Dear Lord, your name is Jesus. It means salvation. And you have come to set free the oppressed. Lord, if we are bound in chains, please break them, and please teach us who you are. Meet us, Lord, for we are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, my outline for today is very simple. Three points, and they are, this is oppression, this is freedom, and this is Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, can I ask you to turn with me to Luke 4, or turn them on. Uh, We're looking at verses 18-18. To 19. This is the famous passage where Jesus uh, reads from the scroll and he finds the place in the scroll and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads these words near the beginning of his public ministry in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. Uh, this is just a brief timeline I've put together to represent Jesus' life on earth. These precious 30-odd years are what is technically known as the incarnation. Okay, A couple of key highlights you can see, obviously, the, the Christmas story, his birth. When he's 12 years old, that's the temple over there, he is found uh, answering and asking questions and astounding the religious leadership and then of course nothing is much uh, heard for the rest of his um, young adulthood until he bursts on the scene um, reading the passage that we just read and that's the little scroll uh, that you see there and the four little orange dots represent uh, his public ministry right the last four three and a half to four years which culminates in the cross which is Good Friday which we are going to celebrate soon. This is a little bit more of a zoomed in look at his public ministry uh, one, two, three, four represent the four Passovers. That's, that's the full moon, in case you were wondering. And these are the four Passovers that Jesus is found in Jerusalem. Of course, Jesus' public ministry begins with the baptism. That's the little dove. And then not long after that, he reads from Luke 4. He says, I've come to set the oppressed free. And it's interesting because he begins his ministry saying that he has come to set free uh, the oppressed free. He then continues his ministry for three and a half years, setting the oppressed free. And then after that, his ministry culminates with him striking the very power behind oppression in uh, the crucifixion itself. So let us also not forget the significance of Passover, right? I mean, this is the Good Friday, Easter, Passover season. The whole story of Passover is oppression. Jesus, our God, set the people of Israel free from the oppression of Egypt where they were enslaved for 400 years. And he set them free politically, He set them free physically, and he also set them free spiritually. So when Jesus was quoting um, from Isaiah, he says uh, that, uh, he basically quotes from Isaiah 58. And in Isaiah 58, the Lord God is yet again angry with the Israelites. What has happened? This time, the Israelites are doing everything right, it seems. They are fasting religiously, uh, but God is still not happy. And they say, why aren't you happy, God? Day after day, we seek you out. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and why haven't you noticed? And God replies, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked Fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. And then, of course, next verse he says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. And this set of rhetorical questions by God provides us with much food for thought as we turn our attention to the obvious question before us, what is oppression? So, what exactly is oppression? I mean, I think we all somehow intuit what this word means, right? Sort of mean, bullying. um, The clue is in the word itself, uh, to press against or to press down upon. Some dictionaries define oppression as the unjust or cruel exercise of authority or power. Um, And the verse that we just read suggests that oppression is doing as you please, exploiting your workers, and quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. I like the distinction that um, Elder David made a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching about setting free the captives. And he said that captivity is like uh, animals in a zoo, right? Three hot meals a day, Uh, they definitely live much cushier lives than their wild cousins. Uh, Captivity? may sometimes be fun. Well, oppression never is. Oppression is never so. So there are many kinds of oppression, obviously, but I want to focus on two, and that is physical oppression and spiritual oppression, both of which Jesus sets us free from. And of course, uh, there are many different types of physical oppression, many different types of spiritual uh, oppression. I originally had a long list, but I I cut it down. And so I'll talk about disease, disease, and death, and demons, and dogma, and finally, damnation, in uh, increasing degrees of severity, as it were. And so let me begin uh, with the first example of physical oppression I have, and that is disease. Now, the gospel is obviously full of accounts of Jesus healing the sick. I think we're all familiar with that, right? The centurion's daughter, Peter's mother-in-law, the woman with the issue of blood. Um, There are just so many accounts to speak of um, Jesus' ability and his willingness to heal. The example that I have uh, for us today is the ten lepers. The ten lepers. And uh, we read that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He passes between Samaria and Galilee, and he enters a village. And there he sees... Ten, lepers. Lepers must stay away from everyone else. They must be in uh, indefinite quarantine because otherwise they might pass their leprosy to others. And so obviously, uh, as we may well know, it is not nice to always be socially distanced from your society. And so they all lift up their voices and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus granted the diseased their recovery. Sometimes this happens immediately, like the centurion's daughter, right? At that very hour, she was healed. Sometimes it happens in stages, like the blind man that Pastor Darren uh, taught us about last week. And sometimes it happens as they obey, like these lepers uh, who were cleansed as they went. And even today, Jesus frees us from the oppression of disease. Sometimes this is through medication. Sometimes this is through sheer miracle. Sometimes our bodies simply rest and recover by themselves. Don't discount that. Don't discount that. Your body healing of itself as it rests and recovers is actually nothing short of a miracle. You try dropping your coffee mug in the kitchen and then putting all the shards in the fridge for six months and you see whether at the end of that six months, that coffee cup restores itself, it doesn't. The fact that you can uh, bust your knee, twist your shoulder, catch COVID, and two weeks, two months, two years later, you have improved, that in itself is a miracle. And Jesus frees us today, even from the oppression of disease. The second example that I have is of uh, death, right? This is the oppression that is upon us all. and then one day I'll cross the river, I'll fight life's final war with pain. We sang that just now. And this comes upon you whether you are rich or poor, whether you are old or young. This is what the Bible calls the way of all the earth, or being gathered to your fathers. It is what awaits us all. It is the only certainty in life. Right? And it is, an, it is an oppression that we have grown so accustomed to that oftentimes we don't even think of it as an oppression at all. We sometimes forget that humanity was not Created to die. But you and I know that death is the result of a curse. Jesus encountered death in his public ministry at least three times that we are told about in the Bible. Probably the most famous instance is Lazarus, right? And maybe the next most famous instance is Jairus' daughter. Perhaps the least remembered instance is the one that I have uh, to share over here the son of the widow from Nine which doesn't really uh, roll off the tongue. I think Pastor Kogwan preached on this uh, some time back. Now here, in this, uh, in this passage, Jesus draws near to the town and he sees a particularly tragic funeral. All funerals are tragic, but it is more so when it is the parent mourning the child. <clears throat> Luke tells us that when um, the Lord saw the woman who had lost her son, he had great compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and then the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Lazarus and Jairus' daughter, and this son of the widow from Nain, they all eventually died, right? Jesus resurrected them and gave them temporary extension of their physical, biological lives, but eventually they died. What, of course, this all foreshadows and points to is the physical resurrection that awaits us all who are set free from death by Jesus. And miracle of miracles, this future spiritual resurrection indeed has a physical, biological element to it. And it is real bodies, free of disease and deformity and death, that will await us as we rise to reign and rule with him. That is our blessed hope. Right, that is our blessed hope. Jesus grants resurrection to the dead, and we all will bodily rise. And this idea of, you know, Jesus granting resurrection to the physically dead, but actually pointing to a spiritual resurrection, which in fact leads to physical life in the end, points us nicely to our second set of oppressions, and that is spiritual Oppressions. Again, there are many aspects. I just want to share three. Uh, and as I mentioned, again, in order of severity, they are demons and dogma and damnation. And I'll explain uh, why I think so in, in just a minute. Interestingly, the type of oppression that Jesus seems to pay the most attention to is not the political oppression that obviously he is aware of. right? Jesus is born in Roman uh, Judea. Uh, he, uh, his, his head of state technically is Herod the Great and Herod reports to Rome. Jesus is well aware of political oppression but he seems to put a particular focus on spiritual oppression. And I think we can see why, right? Jesus said, fear not them who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who is able to put both soul and body in hell. Spiritual oppression is the worst kind of oppression because its effects are eternal. Empires come and go. The Roman Empire is long gone. But if our spirits are not set free from oppression by Jesus, then they never will be. Right? Let me say that again. If our spirits are not set free from oppression by Jesus, then they never will be. And so I begin with my first example uh, of demons. And I do not want to underestimate the severity of uh, demonic oppression, but in a sense, I feel that it is the most obvious of the spiritual oppressions, right? Dogmatism can smuggle itself into my heart and make me oppressive uh, when in fact I think I'm a wonderful person. Disdain for others can sneak into my heart. But depression. Uh, but demonic oppression is, is, is so obvious that obviously I would want um, to, to have something done about it. And so in our passage here, we see that Jesus is in synagogue, and a man who has a spirit of an unclean demon suddenly cries out in a loud voice. I mean, can you imagine that? This is the middle of synagogue, um, you know, they're going through, reading the holy scriptures. The preacher is Jesus Christ himself, and this guy stands up and shouts, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God. And Jesus rebukes him and says, be silent and come out of him. And then the demon throws him down and uh, has done him no harm. This is just one, of the many, uh, just one of the many exorcisms in the Bible that Jesus performs. And each time, what Jesus is doing is setting free those who were spiritually oppressed by the demon or by the demons inside of them. What Jesus was doing was granting release to the demonically oppressed. He was granting them freedom from their spiritual prisons. There is an incredible account on Salt and Light, uh, which I encourage you to check out, uh, of a woman who uh, indeed experienced demonic oppression uh, recently. Uh, Her name is Jamie, and I'll read the account to you. It says, when Jamie was about junior college age, she recalled that she and her girlfriends started playing around with A Ouija board. One of her friends truly believed that it could be used to contact the dead. Others did it just for fun. The girls would put their hands on top of the pointer and ask questions like, can you tell us how you died? The pointer would then move to certain letters. At the end of each session they would tell the board, it's time for you to go back. But one day the pointer started spinning out of control and Jamie said that it wouldn't stop even after the terrified girls told it to go back. Crying hysterically, the girls dumped the board. When I read this, I really had goosebumps just just imagining the scene. Now, Jamie often had nightmares, and she physically felt something breathing down her neck and paralyzing her in her bed so that she was unable to do anything, unable to shout, unable to call out, only able to look at the ceiling. In utter fear. And it was only later, after she became a Christian, that she learned to focus on God, to call on Jesus' name, and to let the Holy Spirit guide her. And she says that over time, I learned to claim authority over my body so that the evil spirit has no place over her. And almost without her noticing, the nightmares stopped. And so, this is an incredible account of Jesus continuing to grant release to the demon possessed. Today, Jesus also viewed empty dogmatism as a form of spiritual oppression. Woe to you, he says to the teachers of the law, because you load people down with burdens and you don't even lift one finger to help them. And in the example that we have before us, the scene is basically that there is an old woman who has been severely oppressed by deformity for 18 years, so much so that she's bent and she cannot stand up straight. And Jesus has pity, has compassion on her, and tells her to stand straight. And she is healed. And it's amazing. And the religious authorities are very upset. And they are upset with Jesus, not because the woman is now better, but they are very upset with Jesus because he healed her on Saturday. That's it. Because he healed her on Saturday. And Jesus minces no words and tells them to their faces, you hypocrites, Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox from the stall and lead it out to give water to it? So shouldn't this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, not be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? And of course, he's right. And here we have a wonderful picture of Jesus refuting empty dogmatism for its own sake and instead revealing the Father heart of God to his children. Jesus grants revelation to the dogmatic. I think, especially for Christians, we must be careful that we aren't dogmatic for dogmatism's sake. Everything we, must, everything we do must be based on the word and the spirit, yes. But we must be careful that any dogmatism, first of all, we must be careful to get rid of any dogmatism, but any dogmatism that we fail to get rid of, we must make sure that that doesn't let us become disdainful of others or even dishonest Whole schisms in the church have taken place because of dogma. Opposing camps are filled with disdain for the other side and they often trade dishonest, unkind stories about how the other side is responsible for the current state of affairs. Hatred of others is itself oppressive. To hate someone and to let him know that he is the object of your hatred can be particularly gratifying. especially when your sentiments to him are partially warranted. How can I forgive, much less love, someone who has done all these horrible things to me? I'm going to oppress him back in my secret heart, if only because that is the only thing that I have power to do. Now, this is certainly something that I can identify with, uh, if I'm honest, even sometimes sympathize with. But I have to tell you that this is not what the Lord teaches Right. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very clear. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now, I do not know how else we can keep these utterly unkeepable standards except by Jesus freeing us from the spiritual oppression of disdain, of hatred, of dogma. Jesus taught us to respond to hate with love. And I think this applies whether or not we are the ones being hated or whether we are the ones doing the hating. In both cases, Jesus tells us that the way to be free is love. And that brings me to my last um, uh, um, example of the oppressions, and in my view, the worst. That is that of eternal damnation. Now, In the old days, if you were um, the child of a slave, then that was it, you were a slave for life, right? And your children and your grandchildren would be slaves uh, of the children and the grandchildren of your master, and that was just the way it was. The human race has been born into slavery. Once we were the free sons of a good master, but our first father was foolish, And he lost his freedom and ours. And we have been the indentured labor of a cruel master ever since. Jesus came to set us free from that oppression. He came to set us free from damnation. Of course, Satan is not going to let us go for nothing, right? And Jesus knows that. And Jesus pays the price. Luke 19.10 is probably a verse that many of you have memorized, uh, and for good reason. It is simple, uh, it is strong, and it is true. And it says, The Son of Man came, came to seek and save the lost. And he did. All the political and the physical and the physiological oppressions cannot compare to the oppression of eternal damnation. It is the one oppression that must either be eternally escaped or eternally endured. Jesus, whose bodily resurrection we celebrate next week, sets us free from this horrible oppression. He grants blessed redemption to the damned. The question is, do we love our chains? Or will we with newly unshackled hands, take his. So as we look over this list, and I know it's a long list, thank you for being patient, I'd like for us to consider whether there have been ways that we have oppressed others through dogma or disdain. Who do we despise? Who do we think below us? Are we ever secretly delighted when misfortune befalls someone that we hate? Do we ever deprive those under us of their rightful due? Or do we in any way oppress our domestic helpers, the security guards in our offices, the cleaners in our housing estates, our subordinates? Do we even oppress our spouses, our children, or our parents? Or do we think nothing of supporting oppressive industries, thereby perpetrating further oppression? Slavery, I'm sorry to say, is not a thing of the past. When Jesus cleared the temple of the moneylenders, he was so angry at the religious leaders because they should have known better. They were the ones who taught the Israelites that God hates dishonest scales, and yet there were dishonest scales reigning in the temple. We know better, church. We have both testaments, we have the spirit of God dwelling in us, and we have to be careful that Jesus does not set others free from the oppression that we are inflicting. I don't think we will like that much. So I know that I started off saying I was gonna cover three points. This is oppression, this is freedom, and this is Jesus. And you all must be getting quite worried because we've still got two more points to go. But really, there was no way to have talked about the various uh, oppressions, disease and death and demons and dogma and damnation, without talking about the freedoms, right? So these are the oppressions. There was no way to have talked about that without talking about the freedoms that were promised in place of them. Recovery, resurrection release, revelation, and redemption. And of course, there was no way to have talked about the freedoms from those oppressions without inevitably talking about Jesus, who so marvelously effected all those freedoms. And so, in a sense, I've already covered my three points. Right? Jesus freed us from disease by granting recovery to the disease. Uh, he granted us um, resurrection to the dead. Jesus frees us from demon possession by granting us a release. He frees us from dogma by granting us instead revelation of the Father's heart. And perhaps most precious of all, he grants us release and redemption from eternal damnation. Above all, Jesus saves us from death. This is Jesus. He heals, he resurrects, he exorcises, he reveals, and he redeems. But before I close, I want us all to think about exactly what Jesus accomplished. Because for the 3,000 years of recorded history before Jesus was born on earth, there was no lack of oppression on this earth. And in the 2,000 years that have passed since Jesus' ascension, there has been no lack of oppression on earth and even in the 30 odd years of his life that he was on earth can we really say that a new age of freedom from oppression really flowered during his incarnation the question is how is Jesus setting free the oppressed today when oppression rages on seemingly unchecked I want to share a little story that I think helps illustrate the point that I want to make Years ago, about 200 years ago, uh, in the land of Israel, the whole land was full of swamps, swamps, Um, and people wanted to move to Israel from Europe, but every time they set up a little village, everybody just kept dying, and they set up a new village, and people kept dying. The reason that they were dying was malaria. And... You can't just get rid of millions of mosquitoes by trying to kill them, as as many of them as you see, right? Even if you had one of those little blue light machines, which obviously they wouldn't have had back then, if you kill 10,000 today, 10,000 more will come tomorrow. And there are millions of mosquitoes in the swamps. But somebody had a bright idea. This may have seemed silly at first. Uh, Someone came around and began planting little plants, eucalyptus saplings, in the swamps. Now, if I were a swamp, or if I were a mosquito, I would have thought this was hilarious. And I would have said, send more people to plant these plants, and we'll suck their blood. But eucalyptus has two curious properties. First, it grows rapidly, almost one meter a year. And second, it's a guzzler. And so, over time, these saplings grew, and drank, and drank, and drained these swamps. And today, there are thriving villages where once there were just these endless swamplands, and the only reminder of those bygone days are these giant eucalyptus trees, that sucked up all the swamp, and they dot the landscape. Jesus is like the man who recognized that you can't just sit around trying to kill every mosquito that uh, is within reach, right? You need to address the root cause. He planted a tree, and though that tree was small, over time it grew so big that even the birds could come and nest in its branches. And so back to the question, how does Jesus drain the swamp of oppression? He taught his people freedom. He taught his people freedom. Twelve men, looked over by their contemporaries, spent three and a half years with Jesus and forever changed the course of human history. Jesus taught them, and they taught others, and these others taught still others, and even now, even today, one such other is sharing with others, yet the message of Jesus who sets free the oppressed. And this intergenerational, cross-denominational, multilingual tree is called the church. And the church, my brothers and sisters, is the body of Christ. And so back to the question, how does Jesus deal with oppression today in Singapore, in the region, in the world, so full of its troubles? Well, he uses his hands, of course. He uses his feet. He uses all of his body. The question is, do his hands and feet listen to him? Does Jesus have pins and needles in his body? C.S. Lewis puts it wonderfully. He writes, Christians are Christ's body, the organism through which he works. Every addition to that body enables him to do more. And if you want to help those outside, you must add your own little cell to the body of Christ who alone can help them. Cutting off a man's fingers would be a very odd way of getting him to do more work this church. This is Jesus. You and I and all who call him Lord, we are at least one way how Jesus sets free the oppressed today. And you can take a good look around your church and look at the other parts of Jesus's body. We are all bits of that eucalyptus tree planted to help drain the swamps of oppression, wherever we may encounter it, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, on the streets, wherever we may encounter it. So I know we've been through a lot uh, of content, but if I could just summarize um, very quickly on the point on this is oppression, it is this, that Jesus knows oppression and that he hates it. And not only that, he fights it. This is oppression. He fought it. In fighting oppression, whether it was physical or spiritual or political, he invariably set those who were oppressed free. And this freedom that we so deeply prize was the freedom that cost our Lord the worst oppression imaginable. This is freedom. He bought it. And Jesus did not just temporarily deal with oppression during the 30 years that was his incarnation, which is nothing in the scale of uh, recorded history, much less eternity. No, Jesus had a plan. He had eucalyptus saplings. And this plan was something that he taught. This is Jesus. He taught it. Swamp, beware. I have one more short story uh, to share, and then I'll close. Uh, this is a story about a regular neighborhood. All the usual problems that you'll find in any neighborhood, dysfunctional homes, youth on the street, broken glass, old folks left alone in their homes, hungry, lonely, oppressed even though they may not be able to articulate it in those words. And they feel it. They feel chains on their souls. They're weighed down, and there's a heaviness. But new people move in, and these new people try to make friends with the kids, try to run classes, after-school programs, get to know the parents, the families a little bit better. They try to love their new neighbours. They try to deliver food to any oldies that can't go out and about by themselves. Even these oldies that need to go to the doctors, they try to accompany them so that they're not lonely, so that they have mobility. In general, they try to be a blessing. At Christmas time, these new neighbours band together just because it's Christmas time and they pack hundreds of presents for migrant workers that most other people would simply overlook. And in a thousand different imperceptible ways, they begin to make a perceptible difference to their community. And acting as one body, slowly but surely they begin to set free those who are oppressed by loneliness, by relentless competition, the rat race, hurts, rejection, all kinds of physical and spiritual oppressions. Do you recognize these people, church? It's you. It's me. It's us. We have agency, church. Jesus could choose to magic away our oppressions, but he doesn't. He doesn't. We have a role to play in this ongoing battle. So as the music plays, can I just ask all of us to close our eyes? Our hits and let this truth wash over you. My chains are gone. I have been set free because my God and my savior has ransomed me. Church, are you oppressed? And take heart. This is Jesus who sets free the oppressed. Church, are you oppressing others? Then be warned, this is Jesus who sets free the oppressed. And Church, are you seeing others oppressed? Then do something about it. We are Jesus who sets the oppressed free. And may he guide his body to do all his good pleasure. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, who sets free the oppressed, free us from anything that oppresses us. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have oppressed others and fill us that we may be set free to set those around us free from oppression. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.